we have some amazing stories in Japan, yet Japan is the, is the worst storyteller. Welcome to another episode of Made with Japan. I'm your host, Ken Shibusawa. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. My guest is, well, kind of a crazy guy, but in a good way. He's got this pump of adrenaline that's really needed in Japan right now. His work is really interesting, bringing blockbuster Hollywood movies to Japan for filming and the challenges in trying to do so. And in the latter half of the conversation, the need for storytelling by Japanese corporations and for that narrative enlisting the influence of the next generation through this organization called One Young World. So, please enjoy the show. Okay, well, I'm very, very happy to welcome Darren Afshar. Hope I pronounced your name right.、Um, you did. Thank you for、I、doing、did. so. So, thank you. Darren and I met at this event called One Young World Tokyo Caucus, I guess I believe it was called. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thank、and、you for joining us on that. Sure. I thought it was just a fabulous event with these young guys and gals. Their eyes were just sparkling, you know, and it was, it was a really fun event. And I know you're really involved in this、um, wonderful project and I want to get into that deeper. But we had this lunch there,、uh, you know, afterwards and I had a, such a fun time hearing your experience here in Japan. <laughs> and from the way you described it, every Hollywood deal that comes to Japan comes through you, apparently. So that kind of got my attention. And then you started your career in the wine business here in Japan and you're just doing, doing so many other kind of interesting stuff. And you were based in Mie, which at least in the 21st century is not center of. Things going on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is technically the center of Japan. We've got Issei Shrine, as you know. That's right.、Oh, right. I've, I've used that as my, our claim to fame. You know, if you're going to insult me, be, be careful because you've got Issei Shrine to answer to. But <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the, jo- the running joke for the last 25 years has been Hollywood's never had a problem with my address. I'm not sure why Tokyo would have a problem with it. But yeah,、uh, I like Mie. It's, it's,、yeah. I am literally the definition of Chiho Suishin、uh, in、uh-huh. Japan, with, you know, the, the regional development initiatives that we do. I look out my window as I talk to you, I've got the mountains, and then on the other side, I've got the Pacific. So I'm yeah, not complaining.、Well. Yeah, wow, that's great, great. So, but you, you've been in, in Japan for a couple of or several decades, right? Is that right? Yeah, 25. This 25. is my 25th, 26th year. Wow,、mm. wow. And what landed you in Mie originally? It's, it, that is the number one question I get a lot. It's actually <laughs> a multi dimensional answer. I, I think it goes back to why was I in Japan initially, which was my education in high school, initially targeting China, actually, but realizing the language was a bit too difficult for me. And I learned that Japanese. Not only has Chinese characters, but they, they had what I referred to as a backup system called hiragana. So, in case you had, <laughs> you had forgotten the Chinese characters, you could always write something in hiragana and get、right. away with communicating in the written language. <laughs>、yeah. um, and that led to、uh, majoring in both finance and Japanese at Arizona State University, WP Carey School of Business.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, it took a little longer for me to graduate. Because of a double major. But once I did, I came over here actually with Merrill Lynch with the timing to,、uh, of the Yamauchi Shoken takeover way back when. What ended up happening was I had actually asked for six months of time to just go somewhere and embed myself in the Japanese culture. Because even though I had studied four and a half years of Japanese, I, I'm pretty sure it was going to be pretty much like everybody else.、Mm-hmm. And I was going to realize I didn't know anything. And I opened up a map, and this goes to your question you know, where am I going to go? I just closed my eyes and opened a paper map, put my finger on a spot. And ironically, it was actually Kuwana Mie.、Yeah. Um, and when I arrived in Kuwana, I didn't even get off the train. I just said, nope, this is not where I'm not going to go here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> that's a little too countryside for me,、mm-hmm. but let's, let's stay on the limited express train because it only stops at the big cities. I'll try the next one down, ended up being Yokaichi. And I said, all right, let's scope this out. And then 25 years later, I'm still here. Is that right? Well, Yokaichi、yeah. is actually a center of commerce during the, during the early Meiji era.、Um, so, 
Uh, it still is. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. there's tons of of big heavy manufacturing presence mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. Um, and tech has started to build itself out here as well. Um, you yeah, can right. see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of microprocessing and um, nanotech tech is now down here. So it, it's still a great place to be, and mm-hmm. it, the population is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like living down here, so I'm, I'm not leaving anytime soon. And and now with Corona, <laughs> basically forcing everybody to live my Mie lifestyle, no matter if they like it or not, you know, yeah. I really don't have a reason to move. So uh-huh. it's, it's it's been nice actually. I, I feel blessed actually living down here. Every time Hollywood comes, they want to go west from here anyway. Oh right. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. we end up bringing in crews from Tokyo to go to Kyoto or or Osaka or Himeji or what have you. So you you graduated from business school and your first job out of the gate was with Merrill Lynch and your first job there was to come to Japan to do the Yamaichi merger is that is that the way Well I, I was I was supposed to come and learn how that was going to take place and then decide whether I was going to stay in Tokyo and work in finance here or I think the idea was they were going to send me back to San Fran or something like that I see. Um, I, you know, again, I was 24, you know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really know where they wanted to put me. I was just willing to come and I spoke Japanese. And so that was good enough oh, for right. them. Oh, right, yeah. right. <laughs> it, but, but I guess, well, obviously you didn't, you didn't lead the world the way towards the finance. You went side so go the other way. What was the reasoning there? Oh, goodness. I don't think we can fit all of that into an hour, Ken. <laughs> I, I, short, short version. I, I will call this kind of a surfing life. You know, life is a bunch of waves that come at you and, and yeah. they kind of force you to make a decision. And, you know, you can make the ru- a turn to the right and get smacked in the face with a wave or you can keep riding that wave until it presents a, a safer opportunity to switch to another wave or just get off and try again. Right. I, I've been lucky enough to be able to look at an opportunity and say, this could be fun. Let's see where it takes me. And that is contrary to everything you learn in business school, obviously, I, for the most part, I mean, other than seizing opportunities, which we always learn about and study about. I've, I've learned about seeing an opportunity that best fits me. And that's always been the policy. And that I got, I'll, I'll get a little personal here because this goes way back to when I was 16. My, my okay. dad was an entrepreneur, entrepreneur as well. I see. And he was an entrepreneur because he, despite moving up in the Taco Bell Corporation over a short amount of time, got canned when Pepsi bought pretty much all the brands. I, I think at the time they had bought uh, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and another brand. It eludes me right now, but they canned all the VPs and literally everybody got canned on the same day. And mm-hmm. dad came to me and said, you know, I'm, I think he was 40 in his forties at the time and, and said, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do right now. And I said, well, just open up your own business. You're, under, you're a restaurateur, just go for yeah. it. Um, and he did. And, and so that's kind of been my motto since then, which is, you know, I never thought I was going to be at Merrill Lynch a long time anyway. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be a launch pad to something else. How that forced itself on me, ironically enough, was the wine boom that hit Japan around the time I was supposed to go back and work at Merrill Lynch. Long story short, I never mm-hmm. ended up working at Merrill Lynch. Um, the six months, yeah, I know the six months I took off to come here to the countryside ended up with me doing a wine tasting with a couple of Nagoya based sommeliers. Ironically, how that happened was while I was a college student at Arizona State, my night job was being a table captain at, at a very famous restaurant called Mary Lane's at the Phoenician Resort there in Scottsdale. And I had an, an extensive wine experience and had just gotten my sommelier license by the time I had come to Japan. So here I was, this blonde, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, <laughs> Japanese-speaking sommelier. And it was just my pastime, but the people I, were, I was cohorting with were pros um, mm-hmm. and were very interested in what jargon we were using versus what jargon they were using, what mm-hmm. wines I liked, what wines they liked. So I said, hey, let's ride this wave for a while. Mm-hmm. And... I jumped into the wine boom. I didn't really jump into the wine business. Um, that meant I was doing tastings. So this, I was late, yeah. so this is the late 1990s, right? Was it- yeah. Um, I came here in 95. The boom okay. hit around 96, 97, maybe. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, you know, and the familiar faces at the time, you know, Shima, you know, Tasaki, Shinya. I appeared on NHK maybe here and there. You know, because, and because had, you're blonde, because you're blonde and wide, <laughs> and, and, and 
basically you're pretty speaking right? <laughs> speaking terrible japanese making people laugh in the process yeah. Yeah. Um, making a fool of myself <laughs> i i remember a, a great a great event we did where i was on the stage and there were a good few hundred people in the crowd and we were doing a, a basically a sheen sekai versus classic sekai kind of a new world versus old world wine mm -hmm. tasting and i was obviously in the new world category and I would stand up there and there was this woman trying to get my attention in the front row. And, you know, some of them are just freaks and you have to ignore them and look, you know, beyond the lights to the rest of the crowd in, in the room. I've been adjusted to that for years. But this woman just was not going to give up and was really trying to get my attention. And that moment, millisecond of silence that happened after I stopped a sentence, she, she just, in Japanese, said, you know, your zipper's open. And... <laughs> And I'm in front of hundreds of people talking as if I'm this elegant, you know, master sommelier of, you know, master of his craft. Meanwhile, you know, the entire room has just got a great <laughs> view of my underwear. <laughs> and I thought, well, I should maybe, have gotten, I should have let her talk to me a little bit earlier. Maybe that wasn't your career path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these were the kind of situations that were kind of ironically propelling me f even further. It was, it was a joke or some kind of language mishap that I would make, or my zipper was open in this case. <laughs> it was one thing after another, and then it would attract someone else's attention and another wave would appear. Okay. And so I would, I would basically just ride that wave. I see. And that wave took me to doing a cast party for a film uh, in Kyoto at the Toei theater, uh, the Toei studios in, in Uzumasa. And what came out of that was I had met uh, some producers and some line producers and they had said, Hey, could you check this for us? <laughs> and you know, it's, it's a Japanese movie, but it's got some English lines and you know, they were trying to get a freebie. And I said, yeah, sure. And you check the, you check the lines and okay, great. And you think you're done. Then all of a sudden, you know, the next thing I knew I had stayed a month, I was an extra, I was checking the screenplay and ended up doing pretty much anything and everything for this movie. And it turned out to be a fairly large movie, with a very large cast. And I thought, wow, this is an interesting wave. I think I'll ride this one. Um, and the rest is history. I've been doing it for 20 years. Mm, wow. Before, yeah. we, before we get into that part of your uh, life, um, what, what do you think the way, do you think waves come for everybody or does it come for you? Or do people, do they not recognize it's a wave or what's the difference do you think? Oh, wow. What a great question. I, I was just having this discussion with my daughter the other day and we were, we were having that discussion in the context of comedians. Why, why certain comedians are really, really great at storytelling. And I think the fundamental difference is they're just equally as aware as everybody is just, they just take notes. That's mm. the difference. You know, we all drive down a street and see a sign that catches our attention or we are on a train and we see something, you know, I know I just put this on my Facebook page the other day. I was shopping at an outlet store and saw an English word misspelled on a sign and took liberty to, to let the particular company know that they need to do their homework. <laughs> um, but how many people passed by that sign and just didn't look? And right. I think that is the kind of reality that we're talking about. Waves are there. You know, you can choose to recognize them. You can choose to then enter the sea and ride with those waves. And then you can choose to pump those waves if you want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people just ride the wave. I choose to ride it and then pump it um, and, and see what I can do with that particular wave. So it is kind of like surfing life. And mm -hmm. um, there are some waves that come, which are tsunamis. Let's not kid ourselves. There are certain waves that come. And you have to be very careful um, in riding that particular wave because it could decimate you. And I have had that happen on a few projects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure many of them I can, can mention in this podcast, but um, <laughs> I, we've had some tsunamis come and some have been extremely profitable and great for my career. Others have been a disaster. Yeah. So but while you're riding it, it's fine. But once you wipe out and you're in the whitewash and then it kind of gets kind of ugly, right? So. Yeah, I know. And I know we're using metaphors to describe it, but it really is an apt metaphor because yeah. some of these waves, you know, if you do pump it too much, you are, mm. you're, you're now realizing you're kind of alone. Um, mm -hmm. And I know now, well, I knew this before, but I really do know now that leadership is lonely. It's not a phrase that people use lightly. You know, surfers tend to want to be alone. 
And when you, when you try to get out of the group, and you see this all the time, if you, if, if you ever have surfed, you'll see a group of everybody in one place at one time, but there's always that one who comes out of it. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, yeah. and that's pretty much what I have tried to do intentionally for the last 20 years and will continue to do here with One Young World and with my film business mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the next 20. I'm not going back to the States anytime soon. Well, that's good yeah. to hear for us. Um, but so you were a surfer? Is that why you're, you, you're using? I was. Using, yeah. Oh, you were? I, yeah. I lived so where, in California. Where, where were you born? I lived, I was born in Texas. I got a, Really? Uh, My gosh. Yeah. I, I, I grew up in Texas. Oh, really? I, yeah. well, I was down, I was born in Corpus Christi. I was oh, there for I used to go surfing. I used to go to uh, <laughs> surfing in Padre, uh, South Padre. <laughs> oh, yeah. Excellent place. Excellent. <laughs> but, you know, we, we were, when I was born, uh, yeah. you know, oil was kind of a problem back then. You couldn't go to a beach without getting oil on your skin. And, <laughs> Um, and so my dad said, we're out of here. And then, and we moved and we spent some time in Europe and came back to America and spent most of my real upbringing in California and Arizona. And then the rest, the the second half of my life here in Japan. I see. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that's where the surfing came in. Okay. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Three years in California. All right. Okay. So, so now, now the big wave is taking you to the film business. What was the next step from that first big um, project that you were involved in? From, well, the, the projects, in, you're, you're referring to the film industry specifically? Yeah, yeah. You were in Nagoya and you had that big project, right? And so what led you to the next wave? Um, well, the the project with Toei was in Kyoto. I ended up oh, staying okay. a month. Yeah, I ended up staying a month with them and doing a variety of tasks and just learning. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have any real roles in that thing. I, I just was participating. But what came out of that was an interest in continuing with it. Um, I made friends from that movie. I, I made great friends with Sugawa Masahiko, who was the the, uh, the lead actor in that movie. Mm. Um and um, we, he, he became actually a, a very interesting mentor to me. We often went back to Kyoto because his family has a really rich history down there. I'm sure everybody in Japan is aware of that name. So um, I learned a lot with him. And then one movie presented another movie. And then The Last Samurai came. And then that pretty much solidified, I thought, my niche, which was I am basically fixing a ton of problems. I am mm. troubleshooting on the fly, making decisions at a pace that it seems my Japanese friends are having difficulty with. So rather than complain about it, let's just leverage it. And so it, you know, I'm not sure how much of the Japanese population is aware that The Last Samurai was primarily filmed in New Zealand, um, <laughs> but it was because yeah. there are certainly finance issues. There, there were reasons to go there financially. But logistically, you know, it was just easier to go there and we could double New Zealand for Japan quite easily. And then a bulk of it was filmed in studios in Hollywood. It was easier to go to New Zealand and then to, to, to Japan in yeah. terms of not, not in terms of connections, but but because of the all the regulatory issues or. But let's suffice it to say the things that the New Zealanders, the Kiwis would just say, oh, right, mate, we can t- take care of that for you right away. And then the Japanese giving us the infamous answer, you know, which we all know is always the, oh, that's difficult. (laughs) Um, Then, you know, and then adding on top of that, we, you know, we wanted, let's say, to use Asokuju National Park, but it's a national park. And then you realize only in Japan do actually people live in national parks. (laughs) So that was a problem. You know, Mm -hmm. there were any number of things that would happen on a, on not just the last samurai, but you know, Tokyo drift was barely filmed here. Mm -hmm. Um, It was primarily filmed in San Fran. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have any number of examples um, that I have presented to the national government actually um, that shows how much money and PR we've lost by allowing these productions to go overseas rather mm. than just fix the problems and to mm. set up an environment of collaboration and cooperation that turns to be extremely profitable. I, I think Canada is the best example of this. Mm. Um, when If you were talking specific to the film industry, Canada has just laid waste to any number of territories and everybody has just scrambled to keep up with their innovation. You know, innovations uh, mm. you know 
and and some territories have done that real well. You know, uh, Georgia came out of the gate strong with bringing a lot of productions to Atlanta. You know, and states have done this, countries have done this. So there's always plenty of areas for us to take a production to. And Japan's doing it too, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's Japanese productions who go to Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Italy, what have you, because of the financial reasons to go there. But certainly it's easier to shoot over there. I see. I see. Yeah. And it, 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 it is the regulatory environment that keeps you from create, you know, using your creativity in the film industry that prevents that or? I, with Japan specifically, I, I think any of my line producer friends or other producers, I think we'll all agree on, you know, there's, there's certainly many stories we could all share, but there's, there's a number of things. I think first and foremost is Japan has this concept of meiwaku, um, which is to, you mm-hmm. know, create trouble for other people. Let's, mm-hmm. let's not create a problem for someone else. And mm-hmm. this tends to be kind of our Achilles heel here in Japan. While it, mm-hmm. on the surface, it's a great concept mm-hmm. socially to keep you know, structure and, and order in place. Wear a mask because it's just polite. That's Japan. You know, Corona came along, didn't really change anything because we were already wearing masks <laughs> anyway. Right. Um, and, and we've been great at, at, at communicating that to the world, actually. Asia was, was proving to the world, we've been wearing masks for a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome to the party. That's a great example of, of the concept of meiwaku. But mm-hmm. the unfortunate part of meiwaku is that nobody wants to take a step in Japan because of the same reason. Okay. And this is where we, I'm invited to come and talk with the government or I'm invited to come work with CEOs or what have you to help them say, how do we get around this mindset um, and get people to learn how to take intelligent risk um, and take small steps that are that can feel confident for them so that they don't always fear this Meiwaku problem. Um, and that that's the fundamental problem for film here in Japan and, and TV. The, the second part is the Galapagos nature of Japan, which mm-hmm. is there are just so many times when small businesses, large businesses are just KY. I mean, they just cannot understand what's happening outside of this country. You might, um, you, you might want to translate KY, KY to uh, <laughs> yeah, non-Japanese know, sorry. Uh, audiences. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> KY, which is the Japanese kuki yominai, uh, which is, yeah, I, I would translate it as clueless. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that to mean to be insulting in that they don't know. It, it's it's kind of the difference. I, and again, I explained this to my daughter. What's the difference between ignorance and stupidity? Mm. You know, ignorance is you just don't know. Um, stupidity is you know, and you do it anyway. Right, um, right. Yep. And so we, we kind of have an ignorance, dare I say, naivete mm. here in mm. Japan that mm. comes with being this Galapagos nation. And it's mm. not that, and I, trust me, I live in Mie, so I know this better than anybody. Um <laughs> You know, there are people here who have never left the city, let alone the prefecture, God forbid the country. And, you know, you could say that pretty much for every country on earth. You really could. I'm not, this isn't really exclusive to Japan, but there's a certain kind of, we're surrounded by an ocean. And so we don't really care what's happening overseas mentality, Mm -hmm. which is slightly different. And that has harmed the country and in general. Um, and so this also plays a factor for film and TV when we go and say, hey, I'd like to bring Mission Impossible to your doorstep. And they go, what's that? And I, <laughs> and I say, uh, really? <laughs> so yeah, well, if you say, I want to bring Tom Cruise to your doorstep, anybody would go, oh, okay. Ironically, here, here's a funny story. Now, I can say this because now MI is, is almost done and, in, is, and is in post-prod now. Mm. Um, for the last 10 years, basically since MI2 finished, I had been working to, with uh, Paramount and, and its producers to try to get MI3 to Japan. Since then, you know, obviously, as you know, if you follow the franchise, MI3 went to Shanghai, MI4 to Dubai, et cetera. Every single time we were saying to the government of Japan, please tell me you've got money for this. Please tell me you will give me whatever I need to get Tom Cruise to jump off of Ropungi Hills. <laughs> I, there was a time, and I'll let your, your followers go ahead and research this on YouTube. I'm sure it's still out there. There was a time when Tom made a personal appearance at a agency of the government. I'm not going to tell you which one. 
to make a personal case for the support of the government to support MI. And let's just say that particular minister decided not to keep his job and he took he took the responsibility with him when he left but even that didn't work and really? it goes back to the you just i'm not this is tom cruise asking me to do this i just don't feel i can deliver what he's expecting of me so i just better quit my job and you know that's more or less what happened and we had been trying since then every single time and you know at some point even uh, gosh, has it been two years now? You know, Chris was here. Uh, the director was here. The producer, the stunt coordinator here. We ran them around the country. Uh, some location coordinators handled the, the logistics of it all. And then on the final day before they all left, we we did an assessment and we said, you know, what do we think? Uh, is this something, you know, where where um, we can we can put Japan in the MI franchise finally? And the the decision was no. We just there's nothing really here for us to sell other than having. Tom come out of a subway on a motorcycle, run around Marunouchi Square, and uh, maybe parachute jump in, into the Emperor Imperial Palace and say hi to the Emperor. There's not much else <laughs> we could really do that would be on par with you know him speeding around Lac de Triomphe from Paris or what have you. You know, and this is where we really struggle. You know, I I think Gun Kanjima in in the in the James Bond series was a great inclusion um mm -hmm. but that's not really if you asked most people around the world if they knew that that what was doubling for the bad guy's secret lair was in fact a cherished treasure of japan off the coast of nagasaki prefecture i, I think there's not one person on earth who would know that <laughs> right, right so did japan win no of course we lost mm. no you you know, paris has won london has won this game canada delivers significantly all the time um, and we're, we're still fighting here. When you're talking about being clueless, I mean, if we're any politicians, if we can, if a Japanese politicians can say that, you know, I was instrumental in bringing Tom Cruise to Japan to do this film, he would, he, he would get, he or she would get so much praise from the housewives here in Japan that, <laughs> I mean, like in, the, in a democratic uh, in a society, it would make perfect sense for him to do that. But uh, let he, me, yeah, let me just say this because I don't want anyone who's listening to this thinking I'm anti-Japan or Japan is totally clueless. Japan is not totally clueless. Uh, the, the government discussions I have been in have been actually very productive and mm -hmm. It, while it may have taken me 10 years to get them to wake up, they did wake up. Um, mm. You know, we, we do now have a formal incentives program, which I designed. Mm. Um, it's been somewhat raped and, and manipulated into the, its current form, mm. but it, it's still there and, and we got it done. And, you know, 1.7 million of that was, was I, if I'm not mistaken, was given to Snake Eyes for Paramount, which is coming out very soon. So mm -hmm, stay mm -hmm. tuned for that one. Okay. Um, but that was ideally supposed to set a precedent. You know, we had much more money ready for MI. I was ready. Um, I asked the government for a war chest to go to battle and no. they, they gave me that piece of it anyway. Um, the, the result of that was Chris. And it, even though Tom loved Japan and has been the one guy constantly pushing for it, really? Chris oh. had to make, you know, yeah, seriously, Tom mm. loves Japan. He mm. absolutely loves it. Um, and he pushed consistently for it since MI3. Mm. But um, Chris made a call and I said, see. no, you know, London's going to pay us a, a shit ton more money for it. So we're, we're going to go back to London. And, you know, there's a lot to learn. And we're still pushing hard. Japan has locked in a program now, which is great. Um, they didn't do it the way I'd asked them to do it, which is typical of Japan. But it, they did it. So I'll give them that credit. Um, and so we are making strides uh, in towards trying to build something out. And there's always going to be somebody who complains about something. But some mm -hmm. of us have to keep riding that wave. And, and I, I am. So we, have, we don't have to wait for MI23 or something like that before. It's like... No, I, I, my, my understanding is Tom's done. Um, oh, is that right? No, no. Yeah, he, he broke his ankle. On oh, the last that's, one. that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and he's getting up there, you know, so yeah. I don't. He's personally, he'll always jump out of an airplane if you give him a chance. But mm -hmm. I, I think we might be done with this one. I think Chris is getting exhausted too, by the way. So we'll, <laughs> well see what, how that plays. Why, why is it that Tom Cruise, do, he, he does most of his own stunts, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and why, 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 why is that sort of a thing for him, do you think? 
that's just the way he lives his life. I, I, mm. I think some would tie that into his belief in Scientology. I don't want to go there, but mm-hmm. I, you know, he certainly likes to live life. He, yes, he uses every project that he does to further himself uh, personally and professionally. All right. So what, what, what are you, so what are your plans in the sort of the Hollywood Japan connection going forward? You have some grand vision in that area. I, I did. Uh, did? I'll, I'll, I'll use the past tense on this. Oh, one. Okay. I, All right. I think for the most part, Japan has missed a massive opportunity. I, I know that another wave is going to come soon. I just have spent way too much time and energy on trying to get Japan to see the light mm-hmm. um, and to see how amazing this, this wave could be. And we built some things, which is great. But at this juncture, there's so many other countries, uh, you know, our neighbor China and, and Korea are laying waste to Japan's efforts. You know, I, when I went to the national government and I said, give me 25 or $50 million in a war chest, let me do my thing and I will make you all stars. My reference was the fact that one province, not even the country of China, but one province in China had 1.5 billion in a war chest and a physical studio. <laughs> really? Well. You know? You know, it, and and my mistake, and I will I will say this on record, my mistake was saying to old school politicians <laughs> in a World War II reference, yeah, which yeah. was certainly a mistake, um, <laughs> was that you know I am in the Battle of Iwo Jima fighting with bamboo sticks, <laughs> um, and boy, they did not want to hear that one. <laughs> so I I made a few enemies that particular day, but um, yeah, yeah. it really was kind of what the case was you know here come the americans with ships and planes and and artillery and japan was fighting with bamboo sticks in a cave Uh um uh and that was an appropriate metaphor for me it was just in terribly terribly insulting for my politician friends and and we we didn't get what we were asking for let's just put it that way i see um so what is the grand vision the benefits of of streaming now have opened up some new opportunities Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. unfortunately I'm not a big anime fan, nor okay. am I a manga fan. And so I don't think that my vision will apply to what we're seeing right now, which is trying to rescue and build up the animation business here in Japan, um, by using the, the recent popularity of anime. And I think mm-hmm. that's great that that's happening. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. It's I not see. my thing. Yeah. I see. Well, so you've been in the business here in that respect for 20 years, do you see some of a, a generational sort of gap between the younger generation, the older generation in terms of the business, the film industry here in Japan? Well, that's one of the reasons why I got involved with One Young World too, because mm-hmm. I, I think the bridge between what I do in TV and film and digital media bridges nicely with One Young World, which mm-hmm. is storytelling. It, it mm-hmm. comes down to, we have some amazing stories in Japan yet Japan is the, is the worst storyteller. Um, and <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> we are just God awful in taking some great stories. And what has happened recently is, and here, this addresses your question to generation gap. It has been the younger, basically Kanlio, the, the bureaucratic level managers in Japanese government and companies who are taking these stories and giving them to foreign platforms. I think the best example of this would be the World Economic Forum. If anybody's on Facebook, you might have seen one or two, three stories about Japan. One done around the Olympics, such that you know we're recycling 90% plus of our metals and we're making gold medals out of recycled gold from microchips and motherboards from computers. J- Japan was not gonna tell that story by itself. And even if it tried, nobody was gonna listen. So. It takes a younger audience, it takes a younger leader to step up and say, if you really do want to be cool, don't call yourself cool. Let the others who think we're cool continue that message on their own. Let's give mm-hmm. them the power to go and continue that on. And I think there was, mm-hmm. more, there was more progress made by giving those stories to storytellers who are good on those particular platforms mm-hmm. And to letting them run with that, as opposed to what Japan has done for many, 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 many decades, which is to try to control the narrative from start to finish with their Japan is awesome uh, theme all the time, which not everybody is in the mood for. Um, So to try to find these new, 
aggressive young leaders has always been one of my tasks as a producer because I need to fill my departments on my TV and film departments, whether that mm-hmm. be uh, camera or sound or costume or what have you. I, I want aggressive young people who are not going to ask me for permission on everything. They're going to put some proposals on the table consistently. And so One Young World presents me with a potential army of talent. And now that I'm there, I'm able to kind of transfer some of my own experience and storytelling abilities to these younger Mm -hmm. people who have great passion, great energy, and camaraderie. And when you pull them all together, like you saw at the caucus last year, it it just creates this, I'm going to call it a a tornado of, of terror because it... It is terrifying to the status quo. I see. Right. And so the hard part for me with One Young World is to try to convince corporations sometimes that they shouldn't fear us. They should get excited to work with us. We're not here to, to you know, protest or be activists on everything. We're here to try to make the world a better place. And we'd like to do that together with you rather than to do anything against mm-hmm. you. Um, and so I'm, I'm rather than to take activists who are anti everything, I'm trying to get my young leaders to embrace what's right in front of them. Look at the waves that are pre- presenting themselves. How do you want to ride this wave? Which direction are you going to go? And to give them that kind of mentorship. And I can't do that alone. So I've assembled a team mm-hmm. and all of our team members at One Young World are elites in their categories. And so they all do the same thing and we do it via various programs. For audiences that is not, so aware with one young world how how did it start and what what's the sort of the what 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 is it trying to do the organization globally yeah 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 um one young world as a global organization is actually based in london we're 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 shifting to become a more global footprint much like the the world economic forum but it's based in london it's been in existence for about 11 years now we have a global summit every year where we bring together about 2000 of of the world's young leaders who are working on particular projects or about to set up a particular project and they need to network, they need uh, mentors, they need financing, uh, that sort of thing. And and we bring them all together for four days. And in addition to talking about a number of topics that help us to align ourselves with the United Nations SDGs, um, and there are 17 of those, um, we also allow these um, young people to interact with business titans, uh, politicians, you know, we, if, if you've gone to our website or if you've ever seen what we do, you know, we've gotten our counselors at a level of Sir Richard Branson, which is from obviously from the Virgin Media Companies to President Clinton to Queen Maxima of the, of the, the Netherlands. You know, so, we, you know, those those are political leaders, business leaders, um, Professor Muhammad Yunus, obviously Nobel Prize winning professor and, and social activist doing some amazing work um, with micro loans and microfinancing. So we bring all of these experts to the table, giving them access, direct access, unfiltered to young leaders who need it. And nice. so that has grown into an amazing force. And I saw that about four years ago. I said, I have to be a part of this because Japan is mm. in desperate need for it. What's the definition of young Oh, what a great question. For, for the organization itself, um, and there are, I mean, there are legal reasons why we have to do this, but it's pretty much between the ages of 18 and 30, 32, around okay. that kind of age group. It, 18 is a little young, in my opinion, because you haven't had quite enough experience yet to be able to deem yourself a leader. However, we have seen a few examples, even just here in Japan, where a 16-year-old has set up a business. We, we've seen uh, a couple examples in America where a 12-year-old <laughs> set up a business. So I, I'm inclined, and I've been talking with my colleagues, uh, particularly if we could use Japan as a pilot, to could could we go younger? Um, mm-hmm. Would would the global organization be okay with with me using Japan as an example to work with high schools? And I, here I know that the Son brothers are very passionate about this. Masayoshi Son at, at SoftBank has set up the, the Masa Son Foundation for this specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Taizo Son is very passionate about education. Both of them are aware of what we're doing. We're trying to get them involved in the educational side of things for us. So there might be some very exciting things coming in the near future. But I'd like to go as young as, as um, 16. I, I mm. think 
if we could start working with high schools, and we are actually, we have a pilot um, right now going in Gifu Prefecture with uh, mm. an elite high school there to work with their uh, young leaders and get them at least a, a lens that they can look through to see what our world looks like um, and the kind of challenges that they were going to face in the future, but to not be scared of them, but to embrace them. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when we first went to the high school, there were about 35 of these passionate young high school students that were so excited to work with what we call our Global Leader Accelerator Program. And then they saw my profile and researched my name on the internet, and then 20 of them disappeared in, in the first uh, orientation session. Why? Why? Uh, well, I think they were just nervous that they saw the scale of One Young World. They they saw the star power that we bring to the table. And I thought, well, well, maybe they thought they weren't of that caliber. And again, this is where that self-doubt, lack of mm-hmm. um, ambition to take that step plays a role in everything in Japan all the time. And we, we went back to the school. I said, listen, I'm going to step out of this program this time because certainly I'm terrifying them in some way or another, (laughs) but, but listen to me, I'm going to give you guys the best team. And most of that team are going to be ambassadors. They're going to be one young world delegates who have been to one young world. They've experienced one young world's global summit. They've come back to Japan and they're working on projects. They are better mentors for you anyway, but I want all of you to come back to the table. That is your first leadership step that you need to take. Don't run away turn around, come back, step into the ring with us. And they did. Um, Mm -hmm. They all came back and I kept my promise and I didn't join the last session. So they all feel more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) This this was a public school or a private school? Um, Oh, good question. Uh, Wow. I believe it's public. I I think it's... Is it Kenlitsu? Am I correct? Ken- Kenlitsu? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. I think it's a prefectural school. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, as a leader, I had actually had to step back. Um, and see. that's sometimes leaders, you know, we hate doing that. But, you know, for me to step back was the right thing to do and allow my ambassadors to step in. Um, or, or like Sheryl Sandberg likes to say at Facebook, you know, lean in, um, <laughs> which, is, which is what we're asking our ambassadors to do. What right. one thing that I hate most, and I think anyone who who is already listening to your podcast already knows the rule of the game, which is anybody can talk about anything, but at the end of the day, we got to get something done, right? Right. And you know, we've been through over three hundred ambassadors now here in Japan over the last ten years of One Young World, and I'll be honest with you, eighty percent of them have disappeared into the wind, mm. Um, mm. and that's to be expected. I'm not surprised. Okay. Uh, you know, you, you can have people who step into that ring and they just realize this isn't for me. That's what, just was way it, was too it, much. Was, was it too big for them or was it, what was the reason do you think? Well, you know, I, who knows? I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I'm, I would love to do exit interviews with all of them all the time. Um, mm. unfortunately some of them mm. just disappear, but I think that's with anything that we do in life where we've got that 20% who are committees committed. Sure, so let's sure. focus on those 20%. Yeah. Um, so they could have disappeared because of scale. They could have disappeared because they weren't inspired enough. I'm sure there's any number of reasons. They didn't get the financing they were looking for, what have you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you didn't get what you were looking for, you ultimately failed. It wasn't mm-hmm. anybody else's fault. And that's been my motto. Like mm-hmm. I said, I've, I've ridden a tsunami and I've crashed into the beach many a times. <laughs> and that's my fault. That's not anybody else's fault. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I need to look at what I did wrong, reevaluate and try again. So this year, the, the global uh, event is in Germany, I believe, right? Yes. And I am proceeding like a torpedo. I am not allowing anyone to tell me we will not be doing this in Munich this mm-hmm. July. Um, so I have every intention of taking my 30, 40 delegates from Japan to Munich and be a force of nature over there. And, and so far, so Munich is showing us the same commitment, which is great. They, they have been real amazing partners in trying to keep this on track, despite everything that's happening, especially right now uh, with the Indian variant closer to Germany than it is to Japan. So, you know, certainly Mm -hmm. that, that has been on their minds, but again, we're not talking about today or yesterday. We're talking about the end of July. Okay. So, 
leaders need to lead. And that means we need to make calculations and predictions that are based on science. And so sure. it's our judgment at this point that everything will be fine. My focus is actually not on Munich, but it's on May 2022, because we have been working for the last three years to make sure One Young World comes to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's a major project right now. And that's, right. it has taken a tsunami form. I'm just making sure I don't crash into right. this one. <laughs> right, right, right. So, but, so first Munich, and you're taking 30 young, um, what, 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 are, what are their backgrounds? What kind of things do they do? We've got a number of, of different types every year. They, they range from students. We usually, it's very rare, but we do have one or two high school students. They're either in that genius category or they're just extremely special people. Mm-hmm. And we just absolutely insist that they go with us. Uh, mm-hmm. But then we also have university students. Unfortunately, these tend to be the elite schools. We obviously get the, the Tokyo University, the Kyoto University, mm-hmm. the Wasidas, mm-hmm. the Keios, the, Keos, the Osakas, the right. Okayama Universities. You know, the elite schools come every year, make no mistake. Mm-hmm. I am more interested in trying to get the other schools. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to get Nagoya University involved. I'd like to get, um, you know, some of the other schools that don't always fit into this kind of top 10, shall mm-hmm, we say, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. most certainly have talent and sure. leaders there that absolutely should see what is going on in this yeah. specific field. So we'll be working on that too. But of course, the corporations, um, most of the multinationals, a few of the Japanese corporations send their employees mm. Um they do that as an HR initiative, but we are also very vocal in that you can't just send anybody. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, this is this is a leader. This yeah. is a leader's organization. First, mm. you need to prove to us that they have led in your organization, mm. and then on top of that, they need to have a minimum TOEIC seven eighty, because the level of English being discussed amongst one hundred and ninety countries' delegates is obviously very high level discussion. Sure. So uh, if they don't have ideally around 850 to 900 on TOEIC or the or a similar test, then mm-hmm. what's the point? Um, right. you just go and watch a show and go home and nothing happens. And I suspect sure. this is that 80 percent that we've seen disappear into the world. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. So for the delegates to go, is, is, is a sponsor comes in and for the financing? How does that work? Definitely. Um, there are obviously costs that we have to, to meet. It's not cheap to bring 50 of the world leaders to the same table for the same four days. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of coordination that has to happen there. And so, yeah, there's a cost. And so that cost, sometimes people will pay for it on their own. Uh, other times we have scholarships made available by corporations that don't even send their own people. They just send delegates. Um, in, in the case of Tokyo 2022, because Tokyo is a host city next May, they'll be able to send uh, 40 of their of whoever they choose to to the um, to the, the global summit. Um, so obviously mm-hmm. we work with Tokyo and say, how do you want to choose those leaders? What age group do you want to focus on? And you then we'll Tokyo, handle you, that. You're talking about the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. Yeah. When you say Tokyo. Okay, so I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The government itself is, you know, by by becoming a host city partner, they can send a certain number of delegates to Tokyo mm-hmm. 2022. So we'll be working with them on the standard, the minimum standards that are necessary to that. Mm-hmm. So 2020, the date's already set, and. Yes, we have not announced it yet. We will be announcing it. It probably in the next week or so. Oh, really? Well, cer- okay. certainly by the end of May, we will announce the specific dates, but it is May of 2022. Okay. okay. Yeah. And what, what's the, what's the milestones that you need, you need to clear to make sure that this, you know, it sounds like a great event goes without a hitch. Um, it is actually going to go off with a hitch, <laughs> maybe even several hitches. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I'm anticipating several mountains to be put in front of me that will force me to climb those mountains and get yeah. to the peak and realize I still have another mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, we're going to have all kinds of issues. Uh, right now, it's it's more or less trying to get back to that KY issue. Um, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of government organizations who are unaware of some of the things happening globally. And so when we talk about, let's say, One Young World's Global Summit, 
I'll be honest, we walked into a, a couple of government agencies and say, what's that? Okay, well, it is the largest young leaders forum in the entire world, but okay, I'll give you a summary. And then we have to kind of educate them and bring them up to speed. And then when you show them the scale that we will present next May, even though it is only four days, the scale that we bring, it's a sizable footprint. Mm. Um, the, the security alone for 50 VIPs is not dissimilar from the G20. Right. And the VIPs um, are yeah. from business and science and all, 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 all areas. Yeah, we've, we've got everyone. Uh, you know, any, any, year, any year that we have this global summit, the, those players will change. We have a core number of counselors who like to come with, to us every year. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the Duchess of Sussex, Megan, has, has joined us twice now. I, I suspect by the time May comes around, if, if her child is born and everything's fine and there's no trouble, she will join us again in Tokyo. But I'm not going to make that claim now. Mm. But but, you know, if, if she and Harry were to come, the security that comes with that is immense, right? Mm. So we're not just talking about what typically happens in Japan where someone says, here, pay $250,000 to be a sponsor. That's not what we're asking. If mm. that is your only intention, please get to the back of the line because mm-hmm. we, need, we need partners. And we need people who are invested in not only the people who are necessary to change the world for the next 50 and 100, 100 years, but... To, to put real money into real projects, mm-hmm. to put real key opinion leaders on real stages, to have the real discussions that will ignite that next business idea, that next startup. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm not interested in sponsorships. I'm interested in partnerships. Okay. And so, yeah, we talk to governments, uh, we talk to government agencies, corporations, and with those corporations come elite leaders. Uh, Paul Pullman, uh, former CEO of Unilever, has been uh, every year uh, a member of the Global Summit. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of of experience is not being shared through just a speech. He's there all four days. Really? Wow. He's okay. yeah. He's participating in smaller workshops. He's mm-hmm. he's shaking hands. He's hearing pitches. He's he's really invested in these young people. And we expect that of our counselors. And so you have 50 of them roaming this location for four days. So whatever special young people get this access, treat it very, very seriously. And so we ask our partners to treat it equally as seriously uh, and to put some real things on the table. You know, I'm, I'm talking to Panasonic. I'm talking to Toyota. I'll be honest with you. And on the record, I am not talking to Nissan. And there's a reason why, and I think everybody knows that reason. I don't need to go into details as to why that is. So if Nissan wants to call me later and ask me, I'm happy to answer. But we need to also draw a line in the sand where there are certain companies we will not allow um, Mm -hmm. on our platform because they are not showing commitment to being responsible members of society. Mm -hmm. And as a global platform, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I reiterate many, many times to my team and to our ambassadors, we are not a whitewashing platform, nor are we a greenwashing platform. Mm-hmm. We are here to make the world a better place. If the companies who want to join are not on the same wavelength, then you, they are not welcome. And what, what is your proposal to the partners when you go, go visit them when they say, well, what's it, in it for us? Uh, it, it depends on the partner, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of Toyota, which has yet to enter this level of depth, uh, you know, my proposal to them would be, despite the push for EVs, you know, what we call BEVs and PHEVs, right? Uh, purely electric vehicles and then plug-in hybrid vehicles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've had the market has forced them to do that more or less. Mm-hmm. But I still am one of the few people who have been very vocal that I think Toyota had it right when they were talking about hydrogen as a, as a proper additional alternative fuel. I think the government getting behind that initiative here in Japan was an excellent initiative, very similar to the push that was made in the 1970s to get the automotive industry up to a global competitive level. Mm-hmm. I think Japan has taken that step again. I just think they've been terrible at telling that story to the world. <laughs> so I would go back to Toyota and I would talk to Toyota-san himself and say the same thing, which mm-hmm. is let's have a let's have a hydrogen let's have a hydrogen discussion. Why not? Mm-hmm, In mm-hmm. fact, let's line up let's line up seven hydrogen fuel cell buses and let's power my opening ceremony with hydrogen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I don't need Tokyo electric power to do that. I can use Toyota's hydrogen for that. You know, that sort of thing. And make those buses prominent. Make sure that 2,000 people and another 500 VIPs at my opening ceremony are going to look in these buses and say, what's that? And Toyota can stand there with pride and say, this is hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And it was made cleanly and it's, being provide, it's providing clean energy for your opening ceremony today. Welcome mm-hmm. to Japan. We need to be doing that with every single partner at every single level. I see. So it seems like a platform for your partners to do the storytelling that you're mentioning how Japan is pretty poor at, but, but it, it's an occasion where they can do that storytelling to the world. Is that, is that absolutely. Yeah. And, and with, with that discussion, if Toyota brings the, the, the fuel cells, then, you know, Iwatani is going to come and deliver the hydrogen, mm-hmm. you know, and we're not asking all the time for money. We're asking for the stories. Show mm. us the tech, show us mm. the stories that mm. like you, like this pod, podcast represents, make things with us. Mm-hmm. I think the Toyota, we still are an engineering powerhouse here. Innovations happen here, whether people know it or not. Most of the components in your iPhone may have been assembled somewhere else, but they are primarily Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some Taiwanese parts in there too, but the, the key components that are powering your iPhone are still primarily Japanese. And there's a reason for that. And we need to get better at communicating that reality to the world again. Mm, mm, mm. And for me, One Young World is the greatest platform to do it because our young people are fabulous at telling stories. I'll be, mm. they might be 60 second Instagram stories from time <laughs> to time, but they're good at it. And so if you give them the right topics and the right depth and let them run with that, I yeah. have a PR army on my hands I see, to tell I see. to tell the right stories to the right people um, at the right time. I see. Got yeah, it. Yeah, I've got so an it, army at this. Point. I see. So it's it's basically uh, uh, the 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 main players actually are the next generation, and it's for the partners storytelling. They could uh, basically ask these uh, talented young storytellers all up from all over the world to say, "Hey, this is what's happening here in Japan for in 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 2022." Sure, absolutely. And and one of the biggest reasons why corporations come, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Johnson & Johnson, every single year, sends 60 of their employees from all of their regions around the world to our global summits. Wow. And there's a reason why they do that. It's not just re- employee retention, but it's also to prove a point that you would want to work at J&J, right? Right. Right, right. This is right. why this is why you want to work with us. Look how many people we we call them the army of red because when they arrive they <laughs> they they all come in in red and then you then you've got AstraZeneca coming in and saying, "Well, guess what we can do?" And it becomes this massive festival of leadership where each company is sending their best. It it is literally the Olympics of young leaders. That's what it is. Except everybody's getting medals because they've all succeeded already. And they get to take it up a notch. They get to surround themselves with excellence the entire time. Now, that does present a bit of a competition amongst the companies, which we mm-hmm. also welcome. Because mm-hmm. one, of, one of the challenges I have when I work with various CEOs in Japan is I always start our sessions with a pretty simple question. Why would anyone want to work here, right? right. Um, mm-hmm. With companies in Japan right now, I would argue, who is your face? Who is your voice and what's your message? Because I don't think people understand why they would want to work for you. Let's start there. And once Mm. we've got the answer to that question, then your business model makes more sense. Well, it kind of seems like more Japanese corporations should be in tune with what's going on with uh, One Young World. How, how, for people that are listening that want to learn more about One Young World, where, where do they go to? Um, well, since we're focused uh, here in Japan, we've created a website, which is One Young World Japan. So it's oywj.org, oneyoungworldjapan.org, you know, one basically. And we put basically the nuts and bolts are there. there there's really no need for us to, to give all of the intricate details. You know what we're about if you go there. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've just closed the application process for Munich. We've filled our, our slots. Okay. And uh, we've take, we're going to take our delegation. We will open up applications for Tokyo more likely later this year and give it a slightly longer application period this time because we're going to be ramping up a ton of PR and get real excited about um, what we're going to do in Tokyo next year. It'll be the biggest summit ever. 
Uh, that's for sure. Mm. So the applications for for the delegates and also for the partners, it's 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 on the website. You, you go and yeah, we have two sections. If 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 you're a delegate, it you can come and learn about us just by coming to the website. You can also just type in One Young World on the on Google, and you'll get mm-hmm. just tons and tons and tons of content. We we have our social media as well. We are building out a unique Japanese presence in addition to the global presence. So if there is an English speaking person listening to us today who has a son or daughter in this 18 to 32 range who's doing great things, but their English isn't up to snuff yet. We do have Japanese translations for all of our content, but for them to become a delegate, they're going to have to get their English up to speed. Mm-hmm. That, that's first and foremost. For companies, they can just go to our partners link um, and then, then they can contact us from there and then we can work out unique packages that make sense for them. You know, and I'll give you, we, we have huge partners who don't always send huge amounts of delegates. BMW is a huge partner for us this year, obviously, because their headquarters is in Munich. But BMW Japan, uh, because it's Japan, they, they don't need to send a huge delegation. They just need to send a couple of their really elite people. Because, uh, again, we don't want everybody to come. We only want the best. Sure, and so sure. we've, we've, we've told BMW Japan, just send us one each uh, because we, we want them to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want them to make BMW Japan look extremely attractive. And again, go and answer the question. Why would anyone want to work at BMW Japan? Look right. at these two people. There's your answer. Louis Vuitton, um, same thing. Uh, they're, they're doing the same thing. You know, rather than send 10, give us two. So for these global summits, you got the 50, you know, the VIPs and how many delegates from how many countries usually? Yeah. Uh, total number hovers between 1,800 and 2,000. Uh, number of countries represented is 190 plus. We, well, that's, we that's, that's pretty, the, we're pretty much covered the entire United Nations that is, uh, certification. Wow. That's yeah. very impressive. That's very impressive. It is impressive. Uh, it's also puts a huge pressure on Japan because you see some of the talent that come in from these other countries. Uh, you know, historically speaking, some of our Japanese delegates have been overwhelmed, which is why we've created the Global Leader Accelerator Program in Japan and are looking to to start working with high schools mm. around the country because we've got to get Japan a bit more aggressive, a bit more passionate. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one thing to be a dreamer, but at some point you need to make goals so you can achieve that. Well, it kind of sounds like Darren, that you, you basically teed up the ball <laughs> for us uh, when with setting up uh, you know, one young world in Tokyo in 2022. And it's up to the Japanese uh, well delegation delegates and partners to use a driver or, <laughs> you use the putter basically yeah, right? <laughs> more or less what a great analogy too yeah. I, I i really agree with that and the good news is uh a lot of our japanese friends and and some of my politician friends are are looking at this very very seriously particularly given all the negativity that we have here in japan right now around corona and yeah you know yeah. the olympics and the uncertainty of all of that we we have no uncertainty for us next may we we're coming in force and we're we're going to be this massive shot of adrenaline for this country and for the world coming out of corona we need something yeah. positive and this is going to be it and we're going to be doing it with Japan. So uh, thanks for inviting me to the podcast because the timing yeah. is amazing yeah. for what we're getting ready to do. Yeah. Well, you know, at this, at this, as of now, we not, we're not going to show what's going to happen with the Olympics. And uh, if, you know, and we have 2025, we have the exposition in Osaka and Kansai, right. which is a kind of a big mm-hmm. event for the Japanese, uh, well, for the government, definitely, and for the people. And 2022 is basically right in the middle. And so, yeah. Yeah, we're, we are perfectly yeah. positioned, and and yeah, yeah. and I'm a Hollywood producer, so yeah, yeah. you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing it with a level of spice that Japan is not comfortable with, Man. and that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's well, that way. well, I'm I'm looking forward to that show. So, <laughs> so please keep up the good work. Well, I'll I'll send you an invitation to the opening ceremony, my friend. We <laughs> we, we definitely need to have the Shibusawa name there that has <laughs> yes. a, a very rich history. You know, and if if anybody aren't, if nobody's doing their homework, they really need to type in Shibusawa into into Google because <laughs> your it was your great grandfather, yeah, not, great, not just uh, grandfather, uh, great your grandfather's grandfather, yeah, yeah. So you've got an, a very rich history in that family, and someone who was probably doing SDGs before anybody knew what SDGs <laughs> were, yeah, basically. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and that that's an immense uh, history that that you should be extremely proud of, and and I'd like to embrace that even more in what we do next year. So let's keep, yeah. keep the discussion going, my friend. Definitely, definitely. Um, Darren, thank you so much for you know spending the time with me. It's it's been really enriching, um, and it's it seems like the you know the stage is set <laughs> for, for the storytelling. Uh, yeah, it really is set. Uh, we just locked it in last week. Unfortunately, okay. I'm not going to announce what that stage is, but it's yep. a really good one. Okay. So good. thank you for inviting me. And it was a real honor to sit down with you. Uh, let's, uh, let's grab lunch again some, sometime soon, my friend. Definitely. Thank you so much. All right, Ken. You have a good one. All right. Thank you for joining this episode with my special guest, Darren Afshar. What a gifted storyteller. And I'm really looking forward to the great show he's got planned for us next May in Tokyo with One Young World. If you enjoyed this podcast made with Japan, please share it with your friends. Till the next time, have a good day or good evening, wherever you are. <laughs>